Let us now open our Bibles as we are going to be paying attention to the fourth commandment this afternoon. Let us read from two passages in Holy Scripture, one from the Old Testament and then one from the New Testament. Reading from the Old Testament, once again from the book of Psalms. We'll read the song for the Sabbath, Psalm 92, and then we'll turn to the New Testament, to the letter to the Hebrews. Reading from Hebrews 4, the verses 9 through 11. Reading first then from Psalm 92, hear then the word of our God, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And so far from Psalm 92, then we turn to the letter to the Hebrews, reading from chapter 4, which speaks of the better rest to come. Hebrews 4, I'm going to read the verses 9 through 11. A few verses here. Beginning at verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Congregation, this afternoon we will be paying attention to the teaching of God's word concerning the Fourth commandment, and in that connection, let us turn to Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where we have a very brief summary teaching of God's Word concerning this commandment. Lord's Day 38, there we confess together as church, what does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained. And that, especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. And so far the catechism. And after the teaching of God's word, let us respond in song, singing together from Psalm 84, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, what should we do with a day like today? 
first day of the week. It's also been called the day of rest. It's the Lord's Day. Now, many people around us do not see this day, also called the Sunday, as anything special. For a good many, it is just like another Saturday. A day to shop, a day to go out for dinner, a day to watch sports, a day to do everything else we could not do during the week. And yet for others, it's another busy day of work. After all, we live in a world where everything is going 24-7, where we so easily have our priorities and our busy lives somewhat confused. Whereas someone put it so well, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Where indeed our worship is seen as optional. Where we only engage in worship when it suits, when we feel like it. Now there has even been among believers a lot of debate and discussion and disagreement about the day of rest, the fourth commandment, such as, is there still such a day? And what should and should we not be doing on this day? And what is most important about this day? Lots of questions, a lot of commentary. And so it is good then this afternoon that we pay attention to what God teaches about this commandment. And with the fourth commandment, we will see that this is a day that is to be us for us, yes, a day of rest, a day of rest from our regular work. It's a day in which God has commanded us to gather together to enjoy his rest, to come together to be in fellowship with him and with each other, a day to be refreshed within a day to, you could say, to reconnect with God, a day to delight in Him and in His incredible blessings. And what we lose when we lose this day of rest is we lose on God's abundant grace in Jesus Christ. And then we shouldn't be so surprised that we can become so restless and dissatisfied and burned out. And we're actually spiritually regressing rather than spiritually growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's hear God's word this afternoon as the church has summarized it in Lord's Day 38 under this theme. The Lord uses the day of rest to refresh us and we'll look at the reason for his rest and then the blessings of his rest. Now as we give consideration this afternoon to the Fourth commandment, we do well to look at the words of this commandment. And then the full wording of the fourth commandment can be found in two passages in God's Word, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And looking at that first passage, Exodus 20, and looking at the fourth commandment, and it starts at verse 8, it says there, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
And you just look in here at the first part of this commandment. You see that this commandment is unlike the other commandments in that it's put in the positive. It's, it's not a matter of you shall not, but it's put in the positive. You shall remember the Sabbath day. We're talking here about something that's a good thing. It's a gift. It's a blessing from our Lord God. This day was set apart to supply us with something that we as human beings so desperately need. You see, this day has been meant to help us, not to, not to hinder us. God gives us this day not to restrict us, not to burden us unduly. It's not a ball and chain forced on us by some unloving tyrant. It's not an infringement on our freedom, as some would have us think. Rather, it's a, it's a good gift. It's a blessing. It is a pledge of true freedom under the sovereign rule of, of our Lord God. It is for our rest. It is for our refreshment. It is for our delight in the Lord God. Now, as you can see, the, the fourth commandment continues. In Exodus 20, and we're going through the fourth commandment, he also gives us a reason why. He gives us a reason why we are to work six days and then we are to rest on one day. If we continue, it says, for in six days, so here's the reason, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see what God's doing here? He's directing us back to the beginning. He's directing us back to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, to the work that God himself did in the very beginning, the work of creation. You can read Genesis 1, and there you read of what God did in the very beginning of time. He's the one who actually created time. How often are we not told there in, in that opening chapter of Genesis that there was there was evening and there was morning the first evening. There was evening and there was morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day, and so on. So it's God who created each day and everything on that day. And so there was evening and morning. There was evening and morning. So you see, God created the time. He created the division of time. And as you can see there, God was busy those first six days, busy creating this entire universe, this entire creation. As it says there in the, in the fourth commandment, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And we can see that all around us. When you look around, you see the splendid work of our God, our creator, and we can stand in awe and delight of our God for what he's done. So he's established the pattern there. And he also called our first parents and Adam and Eve to, to follow this pattern, to work six days and, and to rest on the seventh. In fact, the very first full day Adam and Eve were here on earth was a day of rest. And that day of rest then was followed by six days to be filled with work. 
And he also gave that mandate to work. He gave it there in the very beginning. You look up Genesis 1, you look towards the end of the chapter, and there you have that mandate, what we call the cultural mandate, which is a mandate to work. It says there, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything. And so you see the pattern set here by God, our Creator. He worked six days. He calls us to also work six days. He calls us, you could say, to be good stewards of this creation, to develop and care for this creation, and in this way also to serve each other. And so you see already in Genesis 1, we have that call of God, that call to our daily tasks. And that's what we read then also in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Thanks be to God, our Creator, that He sees your and my daily work as important, as meaningful. That's what He desires of each and every one of us. We're all called to an honest six days' work in a week. We're not to see work as a necessary evil. That's what we hear in the world around us. No, it's a good gift of our God to each one of us. And all our work is to be done to the glory, to the praise of our God, whether it's pounding nails or cutting hair or designing web pages or making sales or studying at school or doing housework. That's all work valued by our God, important to Him, to be done to His praise, to His glory. And then when you look in the next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning, God also reveals there that he also gave a day of rest. After completing his work of creating this world, he also mentions in Genesis 2, and on the seventh day, God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work which he had done. So having finished his work, having seen what good work he had done, remember end of Genesis 1, he said, and behold, it was very good. He then sets aside a day in which he rests. And what does that mean that God rests on this day? It means that he delights, he rejoices in the work of his hands. And so, yes, God rested and then as we can read here in Genesis 2, we are also to rest. Because it says there that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He made it holy. He set this day apart from the other days. This day was set apart there already for our first parents. That was a day in which they were to delight in the Lord God and all what he had created in this way, they were to find their rest in God and in God alone. And the same command comes to us. We need to find our rest in God and in God alone. For as the Lord Jesus would say later on, the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us. It's for us to rest. It's for us to be refreshed. It's for us to enjoy. And so you see that day of rest is given by God. It's a creation ordinance. 
Just like marriage is a creation ordinance, and, and work, as we just mentioned before, is a creation ordinance. Now, we all know what happened after God created this world, after he gave us a day of rest. We know of how our first parents fell into sin. With their first, or what we call original sin, they broke God's command not to eat of the tree of which he said, if you eat of you shall surely die. And so they ate, they rebelled against God, against his command, and that rebellion spread beyond that first basic command to all of God's commandment, also the fourth commandment. And there was no longer a true rest for, for mankind. So where do we look? That rest is gone. Where do we find that rest? Do we look to ourselves? Many think they can find that rest in themselves. They think they can find it in their own strength, that they're going to be saved by their own works. Yet, as we all know, our best works, even our best works are imperfect. They're defiled with sins. Therefore, we can find no rest in God in this way. Now, we need to find a rest in God's grace alone. And this is not just a rest for, for our souls. It's also a rest for our bodies. It is a re rest, you can say, that pertains to our entire life. In that sense, we should be careful not to spiritualize that word rest as it's used here in Scripture, to see it only as a spiritual rest. It's also a resting from our, our daily work for how quickly we see sinful people, yes, make an idol out of their daily work. How many are enslaved to their daily work? How many refuse to, to rest from their daily work from the, this one day of the week? They feel the need to be busy working on this day too. And as a result of always working, they find themselves, yes, being destroyed by stress, by burnout. And this is what was happening with the people of Israel back in Egypt. Remember, they were slaves in this foreign land. They were, you could say, completely enslaved to their work. They really did not have any physical rest. They were, you could say, they were being worked to death. Now, thankfully, our gracious God redeemed his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He sent them out of Egypt, and he sent them towards the promised land of rest. And while on the way to Mount Sinai, he gave his people the law. But even before God's people came to Mount Sinai, they knew of God's law. They also knew of a day of rest. They knew that the seventh day was to be the Sabbath to the Lord their God. When they received manna, that is bread from heaven, they were told to gather extra on the day just before the Sabbath. That's what you read in Exodus 16. Exodus 16 comes before Exodus 19, before they get to Mount Sinai. And then already they knew of a day of rest. And with respect to manna, they were told to bake and boil it and leave some left over, keep it till morning. And then as Moses explained to him, six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none of this manna. So the people of Israel were familiar with Sabbath day, a day of rest before they heard the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. So you see, it's rooted in creation. 
reiterated there at Mount Sinai. And then as they were moving towards the promised land, when they came to the plains of Moab, they received God's law again. And you can read the Ten Commandments as they're given there on the plains of Moab. You can read about them in, in Deuteronomy 5. So they received the fourth commandment once more. And when we check out the fourth commandment in that second passage in Deuteronomy 5, you'll see that it starts very much like it did in Exodus 20. It says, yes, to observe or remember the Sabbath day and also to work six days. But then if you look more closely at that commandment in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, you'll find a different reason given for why they were to keep this day. Different reason why they were to rest. You read it there in verse 15 and following. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here we have the second reason why they were to observe the Sabbath day. First reason, because of God's great work of creation. Here, because of God's great and gracious work of redeeming, of delivering, of saving his people out of slavery in Egypt. In fact, as we know from, from Exodus 31, the Sabbath day was to be actually a sign of the covenant of God's love with his people. It was a sign. It was an emblem. It was a mark of that special relationship of love between him and his people Israel. Indeed, with his redemption of his people out of Egypt, the Lord showed himself to be a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he's looking for that response of love from them and to help them remember this great redemption, then they were to enjoy this day of rest from their daily work. So are they reminded, yes, we have been redeeming. God in his love has redeemed us out of Egypt. And so this day, this seventh day, was to be a holy day. A day set apart from the other six days of the week. It was a day for God's people to, to rest, to physically rest. But it was at the same time a day of worship. It's the worship of God that is central. It's prominent here on this day. The Sabbath day was to be a day of joy, a day of celebration. It was not to be some downer day. A day of grumbling and complaining, a day of gloom and doom. Rather, it was to be a joyous day, a day to be lifted up, a day to be refreshed in the rest which we have in God. And that's made abundantly clear from, from what we read in Scripture earlier, from Psalm 92. Beautiful Psalm, Psalm 92. Take a look at it again for a moment, Psalm 92. And it's specifically called a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. You read the psalm, does it sound like the psalmist is oppressed and burdened, unhappy because it is the Sabbath? You read through the psalm, you just look at the opening words, it's very obvious this is 
a day for rejoicing, for being glad. Just listening to the opening words, you see this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Beautiful. This day is a day of joy, of delight in the Lord. And if you look further on in the song, you see the reason for this rejoicing. Look at verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. It's the works of God which were to lead his people to rejoice in him on this day, this day of rest. And what are these great works? We're talking here of God's great work of creation and also his great work of redemption. And so on this day, they were not to work. They were to gather with family and friends and fellow believers. They were to enjoy the presence of God in holy worship. They came together to, to commune, to have fellowship with God. They would be singing praises to God. They would be offering prayers to God. They would also be hearing from God, hearing from God through his word. They would go from there with God's blessing upon them. Now, we all know what happened when it came to the fourth commandment. You continue through the Old Testament, and you'll see that time and again the people of Israel didn't keep this, this specific command, the fourth commandment. They broke this commandment to keep this day truly holy. That's why you need to check out, say, the prophecies of Isaiah or Jeremiah, Ezekiel or Amos. And you'll find them in each of these prophecies mention made of Israel's disobedience to the fourth commandment. You read that the people of Israel thought nothing of carrying on with their daily work and business on the Sabbath and the day of rest. And actually this abuse, this neglect, this disobedience of the Sabbath day became one of the key reasons why God sent his people into exile into Babylon. And sending them out of the promised land, he say in this way, he gave the land rest, a Sabbath rest, to recover from all the Sabbaths the people had not faithfully kept before him. And so you see in the Old Covenant, the flagrant disobedience to the Fourth Commandment. And then you look after the exile and they see the people, you could say, going to the other extreme, to the meticulous and legalistic keeping of this commandment. And so that by the time the Lord Jesus was living on here on earth, you can see that the people were trying really, really hard to keep the Fourth Commandment. And to help themselves in this respect, they added many more regulations with respect to the fourth commandment. In fact, the rabbis had formulated hundreds of extra regulations for keeping this commandment, for keeping the Sabbath day holy. You could say that they went on to regulate this day to the nth degree. They came up with all kinds of restrictive, binding, man-made regulations for the Sabbath. And it is these many extra regulations that the Lord Jesus confronted and confronted so forcefully. For yes, when Jesus Christ came down here to earth, he came up against these many Sabbath day regulations enforced by the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And he called them out on these extra regulations, these burdensome regulations. Some 1,500 extra Sabbath regulations. Can you imagine trying to have to memorize and then keep all these regulations? And the most ridiculous things were forbidden on the Sabbath day. No unfastening of a button. No cutting your toenails. No carrying anything heavier than a fig. The thought was that by, by legalistically keeping these and many other regulations, they could save themselves. And so you see that this became a day of restriction, a day of oppressiveness, of gloom, rather than a day of refreshment, of freedom, of joy. And the Lord Jesus rejected all of this. He rejected all these extra regulations. And we see with him also that he is the one who kept the fourth commandment, and he kept it in perfect obedience. But remember, the Lord Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He did not come to abolish God's commandments, including the fourth commandment. He came to fulfill this one, and for that matter, all of God's commandments. And so when you look at the life of the Lord Jesus here on earth, he was the one who kept the fourth commandment in the way all of us should. But not only did he, he show true obedience to this command, he is also the one who paid the penalty for our disobedience to this command. He is the one who paid for all our sins, also our sins against the fourth commandment. This is why you also died on the cross, yes, for the complete forgiveness of all our sins, including our sins against the fourth commandment. And thankfully, you also rose from the dead on Easter Sunday on the first day of the week. And it's by faith in our risen Lord and Savior, our great Redeemer, that we have received a better redemption, better than the one that Israel had out of Egypt. It is in our great Redeemer that we have redemption. It is in Jesus Christ that we have true rest, a far better rest. It is our Lord Jesus Christ who said of himself, Yes, come to me, all you who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Yes, it's with Jesus Christ that we have rest. A rest which comes by the gracious cleansing by his blood and spirit. And it's with this far better better rest that Jesus Christ then seeks to invigorate us, to refresh us, to recreate us, to renew us each week in his service. And this is why we as believers come together on this day. This is the first day of the week. It's not the seventh. This is the first day of the week. This is the day of the resurrection. This is the day in which we can take, you could say, great delight in his son, we can enjoy the rest that he gives. And yes, he has given us a new day. He's given us the first of the week, the Lord's day. This is the day for worship. This is the day we're refreshed in his rest. So just as the old covenant sign of circumcision was changed to the new covenant sign of baptism, so the old covenant sign of the Sabbath is changed in the new covenant sign of of the Lord's day. Yes, the sign has changed, the form has changed, 
The day has changed, but the substance, the reality is ever the same that comes to its fullest expression in Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit. And this is why we need to gather. We don't gather then on the seventh day, but we gather on the first day of the week in what is called in Revelation 1, the Lord's Day. And if you look in the New Testament, you see that the early church did indeed gather on the first day of the week. This was the day that they would meet for worship. And you can read about that in, say, Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 15. This was the day in which they would, you could say, connect with Jesus Christ, with the rest that's found in him, which comes through worship, through the working of the Spirit with the Word here in our worship services. Whereas we confess here in Lord's Day 38 that it is especially on the day of rest that you and I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the name of the Lord, and to give Christian offerings or alms for the poor. These are the various things that we do when we gather here in the worship of our God. And so need this is where we need to be. We need to make our presence here in worship a priority for us and for our family. It's a matter of our spiritual well-being. Remember, as we worship, we, we receive that spiritual rest we have in Jesus Christ. And in this way, as we're here, we are being recreated, we are being revived, we are being refreshed by the Spirit so that we can serve God through the rest of the week. And now let's also realize that the rest that we receive here on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, is not the final rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. So just as with Lord's Supper, we look forward to a, a better feast, so with the Lord's Day, we're looking forward to a better day, the great day of rest. And that's basically what we also read in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. There thus remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a rest promised by God in Jesus Christ that has not yet fully come. For we're not completely free from sin and misery in this life. And so we hold fast to that promise of an eternal rest. And we need to strive to enter this rest. And we can only enter this rest by persevering in faith. We can only enter to full Sabbath rest by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to persevere. The perfect and complete rest lies ahead of us. There is a future rest. That's the rest that we'll have in the heavenly home and in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, as we come here to worship, we receive the spiritual rest in Jesus Christ who rose from the dead on the first day of the week. But realize this is not the end. It's only the beginning of the abundant rest that we have in our Savior. And so we confess here also in this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 38. Second, that all the days of our life we rest from our evil works. Let the Lord work in me by his Holy Spirit and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. In this sense, coming here in worship is for our refreshment. That refreshment worked by the Holy Spirit within us. It's also made obvious from what we 
We read earlier in Psalm 92, a song for the Sabbath. Just look at the end of this beautiful song. Song of praise to God for all his great and gracious works. And we also know of those great and gracious works in Jesus Christ. And when we hear the gospel of our risen Lord and Savior here in worship, we really come to appreciate being here in the courts of worship. As the psalmist says there at the end of the psalm, verse 12, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now palms and cedars, they're strong, they're stately trees and found in the promised land. And in this psalm, the psalmist pictures believers as being these kind of trees growing right in the temple grounds. They're said here to be planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. And that is how it is also to be for us in Jesus Christ. We too are, you could say, to flourish here in the courts of our God. We are to be like trees rooted here. This is where we are to draw strength through our worship here on the Lord's Day, through the preaching of the Word, through the use of the sacraments, and so forth. This is how we are refreshed. We are revived every week. This is how we joyfully delight in our Lord and Savior. Really, we need to sink deep roots here in worship. We need to be rooted in Jesus Christ here from the very beginning of our life to our very end of our life. Is even when we come to the very end of our life, our worship here every Lord's Day keeps us, as it says here, refreshed. It keeps us alive. As it says, as trees will still bear fruit in old age. Now, most trees, once they get really old, they reach the end of their productive life. But not so when we are trees planted here in God's courts, in worship. It's when we abide in Jesus Christ, when we are in him, we keep on bearing fruits, even in old age. We're talking here fruits of all sorts. So we're talking here about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. And this is because the Spirit keeps moving us to be in church every Lord's Day. And let us keep on coming here every Lord's Day, every week again. Let us begin our week in this wonderful way. And in this way, let us bear fruit in old age. Let us, as it says here, be ever full of sap and green. In this way, let us be refreshed in in body and in spirit on this day of rest. For the rest of the days of this week in our faithful Savior's service. Amen.